This program is brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu. I'm Alistair Roberts. I'm the Rappaport Professor of Law and Public Policy here at Suffolk University Law School, and this is the Rappaport Center's Public Policy Podcast Series. Our guest today is State Senator Ben Downing. He was first elected to the Massachusetts Senate in 2006 and re-elected in 2008 and 2010. He represents the 48 communities of the Berkshire, Hampshire, and Franklin District, which uh, together constitute the largest Senate district in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts. He's chair of the Joint Committee on Revenue and acting chair of the Joint Committee on Higher Education, and he's also an active member of several other committees, including the Senate uh, Committee on Ways and Means. Uh, Senator Downing, welcome. Thanks for having me. I'm curious. I wondered if you could just start off by telling us what you think are going to be the most difficult issues that are going to be confronting state legislators in the coming year. Well, I think the the biggest issues that will confront us over this two-year session of the general court are going to be the budget and the budget deficit that we have to deal with this year. Revenues have started to pick up coming into the state, but we are dealing with the after-effects of a sort of once-in-a-generation, once-in-several-generations economic downturn um, that sent state revenues plummeting. So we have about a a billion and a quarter to a billion and a half structural deficit to deal with. Um, The cost of health care is going to be one of the number one issues that we continuously try and tackle this session. I think you could add in uh, redistricting because of reapportionment and the results of the 2010 census. We know that Massachusetts is going to have to go from 10 congressional districts to nine congressional districts and how we draw those lines will have a big impact on how communities interact with the federal government and how we, in particular in western Massachusetts, feel that we are represented in other regions as well. I think those will be big issues. I think government reform issues around both parole and probation and throughout state government because uh, you cannot simply cut your way to solving a $1.5 billion structural deficit. You can't do that and still provide high-quality services. So We have to continue to look for ways to reform state government. And I think I'll mention it last, but it should be first, uh, the most important issue, which is the fact that we still have some 250,000 people not working in the Commonwealth of Massachusetts who before this downturn had a job. And while we are far better off than other states, uh, we have a lot of work to do to put those people to work. So I think that'll be our number one priority ongoing, and all of those are big issues which will require us to take a lot of time and a lot of hard work, but I think it'll, I think we'll be up to it. On the budget side, uh, how grim is the situation, and what do you think are going to be the major steps the state's going to have to take to close the budget gap? The picture is less grim than many other states. So there are states in particular, New York State, Illinois, California, that are envious of the position that we're in in Massachusetts. However, uh, we are at what we have been referring to for some time as a cliff in the sense that uh, we no longer have federal support that came to us through the federal stimulus bill, and we have, uh, for the most part, drained our state's rainy day account. Now, many other states didn't have a rainy day account coming into this, and they had to take much more drastic measures, much deeper cuts. So I think we have a big challenge in front of us, but it could be far worse if we didn't have that rainy day account and if we hadn't uh, had support from the federal government. I think when you look at the state budget, roughly a third of that budget is health care costs. And that's why health care costs are tied so directly to our fiscal health and well-being. Now, they're also tied directly to our fiscal health and well-being in the sense that employers and entrepreneurs aren't going to start new businesses, aren't going to uh, bring on 
new employees if their health care premiums continue to go up year after year, 15, 20, 25, 30%. So I think continuing to work around cost control on health care and um, reforming our state health uh, programs, in particular the Medicaid program, MassHealth, uh, will have to be uh, one of our focal points. And we have to look throughout state government. There is no area that can uh, be spared. Obviously, municipal health care costs are a big issue that we're going to have to get into, especially if we're talking about any cuts to local aid. And really, those are two of the bigger areas that you can look to for savings. And I think those will be two areas where we focus on the most. But again, we have to look throughout state government because every dollar we save is a dollar we don't have to cut somewhere else. You mentioned jobs. What can the state government do to promote uh, the economic recovery here in the state? Not as much as we'd like to be able to, is the honest answer. Uh, There are some things we can do and some things we have done to try and create a more uh, stable and sustainable business environment uh, moving forward. So a few years back, we in Massachusetts at the same time uh, reduced our corporate tax rate or set up a schedule to reduce our corporate tax rate and then changed our corporate tax regime to close loopholes and try and provide more fairness uh, across the system as a whole. I think that's a good step. That rate reduction is in place now. Uh, There are people who want to freeze that rate reduction and say times are too tough, we can't follow through on this promise. I think that would be the wrong type of step to take in this climate, and we should allow that to go into place because that creates the type of stability in which people can invest in Massachusetts and hopefully add jobs here and bring jobs here. I think in the long run, if you look at a district uh, like mine, to be parochial for a minute, uh, the two major impediments to economic growth and job growth um, are the lack of a highly skilled uh, workforce. Uh, When you talk about a highly skilled workforce, you're talking about the percent of your population with a bachelor's degree of those 25 and older. In the greater Boston area, that's well over 40%. In the Berkshires, it's barely over 20%. There are other portions of the state where that is much lower, and somewhere it is a little bit higher. But if you are a General Dynamics, which has one of its hubs in Massachusetts and Pittsfield, if you are a Sabic Plastics, the corporate headquarters of an international plastics firm, and you're trying to recruit someone, it is much more difficult to recruit that person either locally or to convince them to come to the Berkshires, because what if it doesn't work out there? They don't have many other options. Uh, So we need to do more to build a highly skilled workforce. Now, in our way, that means investing in public higher education. I've had the the honor of serving as the acting chair of the Higher Education Committee, and I think the best workforce development programs that we have in Massachusetts are our state system of public higher education, whether that's the community colleges, uh, the state universities, or the UMass system. So we need to find ways to get more money to those systems. We also need to do more around energy costs. And that means investing in the energy of the future, which may cost a little bit more now, but over the long run will make us more energy independent and will hopefully stabilize costs and do well by our environment as well. So those are some of the things we can do, but it's all about building an environment in which opportunity can flourish and jobs can grow. One last question. There's been a lot of discussion about the political mood in the country and the and the quality of political discourse since the tragic shootings in uh, Arizona. And I'm wondering, do you think that's an issue here in Massachusetts? Have you seen a deterioration in, in the way we talk about politics here in the state? Is it something we should worry about? I think it's an issue um, across the nation. In my experience, I don't know if it's necessarily gotten a lot worse over the past couple of years. I would say over the last decade or so, it certainly has. Um, I had the opportunity to work for Congressman Olver and Congressman Neal in Washington, Um, And some of the calls I took then were were just as vitriolic as some of the calls that I receive at my office today. 
Um, I think uh, in the president's remarks at the Tucson Memorial Service, the line that stuck with me the most was the president's call on all of us to sharpen our instincts for empathy. And I think too often we want, in our political discourse, we have tended to judge people. Uh, we have tended to say, um, you, uh, you've you done this wrong and you're the reason I have to bear this burden. We would all be better served and our politics would be better served if we sort of step back from the brink for a while and recognize that if someone is involved in the political process, no matter where they come from, no matter what their party is, then more than likely they got involved to try and improve their community. They got involved to try and make uh, their community, their state, their county, whatever, a better place. And I think if you start from that place, then more than likely you're going to be able to find those things you agree on than to simply focus narrowly on what you disagree on. So while I agree with the president, I don't think the the shootings and the terrible tragedy in Tucson happened because of the rhetoric, the political rhetoric in this country. I think it would be a silver lining on the cloud of gray if uh, we can take out of this a commitment by everyone involved in the process to have a discourse that is worthy of those who lost their lives and those who are victims of that shooting. That's my hope uh, for what comes out of that. And, And I think that if we remember those people every day, if we remember those people maybe before we fire off that nasty email or, or letter, then we will have taken a step forward that will be better for all of us. Senator, thanks very much for joining us today. Thanks for having me. This preceding program was brought to you by Suffolk University. Please visit us on the web at www.suffolk.edu.